It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. A few things happened this past week. Yeah, one of them including that you were here alone. And when I came in, I noticed that you didn't clean the air fryer out after you ate. That's true. I heard that you sent a Snapchat to my wife informing her as much, which then allowed her to open <laughs> up a line of argument that I also neglected to clean up my dishes yesterday at home. So yeah, appreciate that. Uh, Usually she sends me just like a daily Snapchat of like the messes you leave in the kitchen. They're atrocious, to be honest. So apparently you guys are communicating uh, behind my back. I've learned (laughs) this. Appreciate this. I was missing you this week and I, I missed you, but uh, yeah, that that was a little harsh yesterday. I'm getting it from work and at home. Well, I came in here yesterday morning to do a couple of things, and I had to leave and go to a hearing, but I was here for a couple hours yesterday morning, and I did leave you a note, and mm-hmm. then I cleaned up your messes. Yeah, well, I'm sorry about that. In my defense, I thought you weren't going to be here yesterday. I was just going to clean that mess up Uh, yesterday. Well, you know, it's like when you go on a vacation, you want your house to be clean when you come home. And you want to walk into a nice, clean house. Like, I want to walk into a clean office. And then I just see crapola everywhere. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to the news because there (laughs) was a lot of news. Enough of this discussion. Let's not live in the past here. Right, right. right. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of news. I mean, the podcast dropped last Friday, and then... Friday night, we have the order from the Supreme Court come out. And it was like around 6 p.m. It was not prior to 5 p.m. when that order came out, and it was just all over Twitter. Of course, people were queued up on what they were going to say, and the fights started rolling. Constitutional scholars everywhere... They're weighing in on whether this was the most brilliant decision that the Supreme Court had ever made in North Carolina, or it was once again a court gone rogue. Walk us through what happened Friday night. So the court put out this order, and we didn't see exactly what the opinion was until later. So Friday night was just the order. Fairly hefty. You didn't see the dissents yet. It was four to three, just along party lines, which was pretty much to be expected. And we heard a bunch of partisan discussion about that that this was a partisan decision, those sorts of things. But the court ruled that the maps drawn by the General Assembly violated the state constitution's free elections clause, free speech clause, free assembly clause, and equal protection clause. So a lot of clauses being violated. As far as next steps, it gives the General Assembly until February 18th to redraw those maps. And Once the General Assembly does redraw those maps, which is going to be a different process than we saw before, it's not going to be all day, every day, doors are open to 643, people can walk in. It's just the folks who are going to be redrawing the maps. However, we did hear yesterday that Senator Blue and Senator Berger, they released a joint statement saying that they were going to work out a deal over on the Senate side for their maps. So that's an aside. But once those maps are drawn, it'll go back down to the trial court to make a determination as to whether or not the General Assembly abided by what was in that order and created fair maps. So not the Supreme Court. It doesn't go back to them. It comes back to that original three-judge panel that heard the court case. Mm. So the timeline again, when, when do we think we will have some finality and candidates can start filing for office. That's still unclear. Yeah, that's still unclear. I think that if everything goes according to plan, we'll remain on schedule. I want to also note that all parties to the lawsuit have the option to nominate folks to be a special master. Now, when you think special master in North Carolina, you think somebody coming in from California and drawing maps, right? Right. But that is not what this is going to be. They will. Ha- the trial court will have a special master that's going to help the trial court determine whether or not the General Assembly did abide by those rules. 
So when the General Assembly does return next week, I'm expecting there to be some tension between Republicans and Democrats. I felt it this week when I was in the building. It's not going to be the most pleasant return, I believe. I believe that to be true. I think Senator High said this week when they asked him for comment on the maps, be careful what you wish for Mm -hmm. because that'll come around and essentially it will come back around to hurt Democrats later. And I think that's probably true for both parties. And speaking of being careful what you wish for, there's a rumor going around. Unsubstantiated rumors. (laughs) That Congressman Madison Cawthorn's district, the one that he declared he's going to run in, it was a seat that many of us thought Speaker Tim Moore would run in. But that seat might be closing up for him because of this decision from the North Carolina Supreme Court. He might find himself back in his old district. And by the way, there was a debate last night in that district of all the candidates who have declared. So it's going to be really decision time for Congressman Cawthorn and what's he going to do next. So Sky couple weeks ago, you reported on some fundraising numbers, some preliminary numbers from Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. We did get official numbers this week on the January 31st filing deadline. Yes. As I think we had previously reported, not that we are breaking news or anything, (laughs) but we did say that he had raised about a million and a half dollars. That was accurate. Something to note, obviously he's running for governor, but there were about 50 people who maxed out to him, which is quite a number. Yeah. And then Attorney General Josh Stein, who has all but announced that he's running for governor in 2024, also put up some impressive numbers, $1.45 million. He has a little bit more money in the bank Both impressive numbers. I think anyone who's thinking of challenging Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson for uh, the race for governor is really got to look at these numbers. And same for Attorney General Josh Stein. We know that we are your go-to source for news (laughs) about North Carolina politics and the General Assembly. But the OG go-to source is Tim Boyum from Spectrum News. He does Capitol Tonight every night, has legislators on, has you on sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of turned it on him and asked him some questions about himself. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Tim Boyum, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. So if you could just start us off by telling us about your job. What do you do? Where is it at? What is your day-to-day like? Yeah, the best part is it's no day is alike, which is actually why I like it. Um... I do three shows overall. I do Capital Tonight, which airs nightly. It's kind of like you know the nightly political show. I do uh, a podcast of my own called Tying Together with Tim Boyum. Every Wednesday. Every love Wednesday. It, love it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and then I do a monthly show called Front Porch Politics, which um, is more of like what I describe as a, a combination of 60 Minutes and CBS Sunday Morning News. It's going back in our communities with our politics, trying to go back to where the people are and away from the institutions. So, and then I also lead our political unit. And so like, I mean, every day there's something new I gotta do. What does leading the political unit consist of? Yeah, so we have a a team of a couple reporters, another uh, anchor reporter, two producers. And so I'm helping drive what we're doing with that and leading that team about how we're going to cover things at the legislature or how we're going to cover a redistricting hearing or something like that. And um, I've I've been here now 20 years. uh, And so I try to put a little bit of wisdom on how we should do those things. (laughs) (laughs) So I've known you for 20 years, almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. How do you have time to throw in all these other shows you're producing, you're anchoring and producing a podcast? You've got front porch politics. And you go to Disney World a lot. 
<laughs> That's why I have to have so many shows. <laughs> I mean, how do you get it all in? Yeah, I find the way to do it because I think it's really important. Um, I don't do it just to add on things. Look, the, the industry's changing. Our audience is changing where they get things, and we have to evolve. And so I just find ways. Now, I'm very blessed. Like, I have a great team that helps out. And so Capital Tonight's been, in two months, it'll be on 10 years. Yeah. And so it's kind of a well-oiled machine, right? And so that day-to-day show, my producers really drive a lot of that. Yeah. Um, the relationships I've built over 20 years help me, you know, help that run. And so Front Porch is brand new, so that requires more of my time. Um, so it takes, it's not just Tim and Tim Boyum's on the name of it, but it's a whole team of people that sure. do that. And so, um, you know, s- some days are easier than others and I work a lot. Yeah. Um, I call my wife, she'll tell you, Yeah, yeah <laughs> but yeah. I love it. When you show up for work and you're trying to figure out what am I reporting today? What am I reporting this week? How do you go about gathering the news for your many shows? Well, it usually starts sometime between five thirty and six in the morning. Okay. Um, I'm on my, I'm an early riser. And so I'm on my phone, I'm checking my emails, catching up. And then I get on Twitter. It's like my, remember the RSS mm, feeds back in the day? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, check my phone, get on Twitter yeah. immediately. <laughs> Again, call my wife. <laughs> but I check headlines. It's kind of like RSS feeds back in the day, okay. you know, and then I have my websites I go to. Um, but generally I spend a, my last part of the day before looking ahead and planning and organizing. And it used to be I just researched, you know, news articles and whatnot, but now I have enough sources and stuff where I actually make a lot of phone calls and talk to people to get snippets of things. And I'm very, uh, I could not get through my day without lists. Okay. Like I have to, I have so many things to do. Like I've learned so much about being more productive. I actually have to schedule even monotonous things in my day. So if I like, if I need to log video, which basically goes shoot a 40 minute interview and I, I actually go through and write down what they said. And then if I have to research an interview and then I have to do four other things, if I just have those on a list, I'll never get them done. So I have to like schedule from two to three. I'm going to do this three to four. I'm going to do that in four to five. And so, um, that's just a really long, boring way of saying I try, I get figured out. Right? <laughs> so- it's hard. <laughs> And like a week to week or a month to month basis, how often are you traveling throughout the state? Yeah, so I used to not travel nearly as much. Now it's um, it seems to be a lot with front porch politics in mm-hmm. particular, which by the way is is the newest thing and I think the most rewarding personally mm-hmm. that I've ever done in my whole career. It's a great great segment. You uh, do. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, give us your pitch for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we. For Capital Tonight for 10 years, we've, we started out just like any other news uh, political show. There's bickering heads, right? Yeah. Bob Rucho and Josh Stein when they were senators <laughs> arguing about the tax code, right? That's was like the heart of it. Yeah. And it was really fun, but viewership has changed. People are tired of that type of thing. Um, and people are tired of looking, I think, at everything from the perspective of the legislature because there's people that are in these places. So we're going to like way out in the boondocks in the mountains to get stories. And in another month and a half, I'm going to literally be out in the ocean doing a a political story. But, you know, all these issues that happen here on Jones Street or at the governor's mansion, they impact people at home. And people are tired of just hearing from lawmakers, even though they're very important and I need them for my program too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming on the show. Um, They're the base of our listeners. (laughs) But people are craving storytelling. And, you know, just to give our my team and our leadership uh, uh, you know big tout is they've discovered that and we're doing all of our storytelling including politics you know we're going back to the roots of journalism and we're storytelling we're not just giving a bunch of facts and figures and the arguments on Jones Street and it's really paid off I mean our you know the viewership is loving it I get more emails about this show that just started than probably I've gotten in the TV show in, in over a year so journalism is changing yeah can you talk about where journalism is today and how you're adapting to it? Yeah, so I think the basics of journalism have not changed, or at least should not have changed, right? right? Um, although there's a debate to be had about that, too, because I get accused of both side, sidesism. Mm-hmm. You know, there's two sides to every story. So do we. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the truth is that the audience has changed more than the profession, yeah. I think. And so that's a big difference. But the other thing is... 
Journalism is journalism. It changes its format somewhat, but it's how people consume it that largely changes. You know, people wrote newspapers, uh, but then the technology came to be able to do radio, which, by the way, is now podcasting. Mm -hmm. But so people adapted to the new technology of the time. We got television, and then we got the internet, and then we got cell phones, and now we got social media, and Lord only knows what's next. So we just have to adapt. The difficult part is, is that there are now more avenues of getting it than ever. You know, TV, there was three channels. Now we're competing against a cabillion of them and streamers. And so it, it, grabbing an audience, a large audience, and holding on them for a long period of time is really challenging. But that's also why you see me doing a nightly TV show, a weekly mm-hmm. podcast, mm-hmm. a monthly long-form storytelling show, because we're, we're all just trying to reach them in different ways. And everybody has different things. I don't even listen to the regular radio anymore. I listen to podcasts right. all the time. Same. So, But not everyone is like that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and so I, it's just it, it is very difficult, um, but we have more resources to do it because of technology too. So um, I, I wish I had all the answers. <laughs> right, but you seem to be really meeting listeners where they are. Right, instead of just saying, "Okay, here's Spectrum News, come get the news," you are finding the platforms in which the the listener or the viewer or the consumer is. Yeah, I, I like to I make this when I give presentations even inside our own company. We are a multimedia organization. We are not a TV news channel anymore. And we have to be that way. So we have to meet them with not only where they want to get it, but within that platform, what they want. Right? So like my in-depth TV stories, they got to be, you know, emotional and visually stunning. The podcast, you know, a lot of times you want something more in-depth or behind the scenes or getting to know people more. And the nightly show is just a quick snippet of here's what happened and here's what both sides think. You know, have a nice night. Yeah. So there was a lot to unpack in your last couple answers, but one thing that we discussed and you have alluded to today is that you get accused of talking about both sides. How is it that you have formed these longstanding relationships at the legislature and with individual legislators where you are so respected from both sides? Well, I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. And I go back to the early 2000s when I first got here. Um, Democrats were controlling everything in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, And so everybody, I mean, I mean, everything in North Carolina, except for the sharing agreement, but that's a whole other (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Um, But when most people would just go to Mark Bassnight or Jim Black or Mike Easley, who were the Democrats in charge at the time of the lawmakers, they would go get their soundbite and they would go put on TV. This is what happened. Even back then, I would go to the greatest ends of the earth to make sure to get a Republican perspective when they had no power and had no business and didn't matter in a lot of ways at the legislature in particular. So fast forward to 2010, things changed dramatically and the Republicans take over and they remembered that. I mean, Mm. at least I I, I like to think they do. Um, And so and now fast forward to where they had complete control in the middle teens. Is that what we're calling, I guess? (laughs) and, and we still would always go back to the Democrats. And so I, I you know, it's, it's 20 years of building those relationships. Um, I'm honest with them. I tell them, you know, I, I think I'm hard on both sides, you know, when I ask them questions or at least fair. And so if I'm fair, I don't know how they could think otherwise. On your podcast, I have really been enjoying getting to know you as you kind of reveal who you are and how you got here, but haven't had the whole picture kind of filled in for us. How did you get to North Carolina from Minnesota? Speaking of changes in the industry, by the way, I, th- this would have been the most awkward thing to talk about myself in the past. Right. And now it's really important. Yeah. It's, and you do that in the podcast. I've really appreciated that. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, people want to connect uh, and have an authentic relationship with that. So um, so before North Carolina, I was in a tiny little town called Eureka, California, which oh. is four hours north of San Francisco. Oh, wow. And people lose their minds realizing it's four hours north of San Francisco, yeah. still in California. But it's where the Redwoods are. The famous way you say it is it's where all the hippies go to die. Um, it's really hippie-driven okay. culture out there. Uh, big pot-growing area, okay. uh, fishing area. But anyways, that was my first job out of college. It was a little tiny TV station. I think the market had like 65,000 people in it. And were you wearing bow ties there? No bow ties. <laughs> no bow ties. I probably would have got run out of town. Yeah, I was thinking that as you were describing it. I'm like, that doesn't really seem like you. They, they didn't even like that I wore shoes, I don't think. <laughs> 
Um, but it was a great place to be terrible and yeah. learn and okay. make mistakes. Um, but it was not a young town, uh, and it was really different culture. I'm from Minnesota. I went to high school in Arkansas, and so it was just it was really different. Um, mm. And so I was there for like two and a half years, and I started looking around for jobs, and I really wanted to come to East Coast because that was one place I hadn't lived. And there was this 24-hour news operation, local news, which then was almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm someone in life that uh, if my gut's tell me to take a risk, I will do it. And um, I did. And I drove uh, cross-country, packed everything I could into a little red ZX2, and threw away the rest <laughs> and drove all the way across the country. Yeah. And how old were you at this point? 25. Okay. And interestingly, when I landed in North Carolina, so I stopped in Minnesota which obviously we know what that's like in December. Yeah. And when I moved here in early January, they got 13 inches of snow in, in, right? in Raleigh that day. Yeah. I couldn't even barely drive my car around. I said, where have I taken myself? <laughs> <laughs> so prior to California, you grew up in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, almost 16 years straight. And then my dad uh, decided to quit his job because he hated a new boss, thought he could get a job easily where they were in a recession. His hair was, uh, for the, you can't see this, but my, what do you do on TV? My hair's pretty gray. My dad's hair was really gray, okay. like almost white. And so, you know, they were hiring younger people then. So anyways, it was between St. Louis and Arkansas, and my mom hated St. Louis. And so I went to high school in Arkansas. Right. And I you heard your podcast. It was the last week in January. We were talking to a high school friend you yeah. had on the show who's now a minister. But that, that sounds like w- that's when you fell in love with journalism? Yeah. So I had to take a, uh, an elective, like almost everyone does in high school, and I was not wanting to take, you know, uh, calculus or any of that kind right. of stuff. It just wasn't me. So I, I, journalism's got to be easy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I fell in love with it almost instantly. And the best part about that was um, my dad worked for a company, and the guy that worked for him was dating a local news anchor in Fort Smith, Arkansas, a small market. And we were at a party once, and she said, oh, you're in journalism. And she said, uh, we need some, somebody to come, you know, make coffee and rip scripts and stuff. And I went to the TV news station and the first breaking news story, I was hooked. It was like a drug. Is that right? Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of it. I got paid like probably, I don't know, $5 an hour back then if I was lucky and I would work as much as I could. Okay. And I taught myself how to use the camera. I begged to go everywhere on stories and, um, yeah, the rest is history. I've known since that point that I'm lucky. I always tell people I'm so lucky. I finished college early because I knew what I wanted to do. Did you major in journalism in college or yeah. English? Or how, did, how did that work? I have a, uh, a uh, mass communications with an emphasis in broadcast news. I always try to remember what it was. <laughs> right. And a speech communications minor, which is probably the dumbest thing I ever did. Now, who needs two communications degrees? I should have right. taken Spanish or business. <laughs> Where'd you go to school? Uh, St. Cloud State. Okay. Which is about an hour north of the cities in Minnesota. Okay. Huskies. So how did you fall into political journalism? Yeah, that's kind of an interesting story. So I, I, I'm not, uh, by, in life, a, a political animal. Um, I came here as a general assignment reporter. I got to go to the Final Four, the Stanley Cup. I've been in the middle of a hurricane. Uh, Michael Peterson staircase trial. I covered mm-hmm. that whole fiasco. But... Mitch Kokai, who's now with the John Locke Foundation, he was sort of our political guy, and he left. And they said, uh, you know, you do a good job of covering issues. Would you want to do this? And I said, oh, God, I don't know. Okay, all right. <laughs> I was a little, I was, I was intimidated, to be honest with you, because it's a lot, you know, yeah. to cover politics. So I started covering it slowly, and then I realized I'm a big, I'm a sports fanatic. And I realized there's a lot of similarities between politics and sports, the competition, you know, the, the debates. And I just fell in love with it. And then I got to cover the fir- my first of, what, five now uh, national conventions. And John Edwards is running. And at that point, I was hooked. Okay. Um, and then I got married and had kids, bought a house. And I'm like, oh, man, this stuff's actually kind of important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you about that. So, again, I've known you for close to 20 years. I've been on Capitol Tonight. On your podcast, somehow you still keep coming back. I know. I don't know why. <laughs> Must be slow, slow nights, right? <laughs> I have no idea what your politics are. No idea. I don't know how you vote. I, I 
I see you, and I can usually judge people pretty quickly where they are, whether they're middle, right, left, wherever. I have no idea about Tim Boyum, and we've never talked. Really. Drives people crazy. It does, and I'm not asking you to reveal on this podcast who you are, but how do you do it? I have a general general curiosity um, about everyone's opinions. Okay. Um, and I'll give you a real quick example of it going on now. So we did, I'm still a believer, even if people think someone's crazy, you still need to hear their viewpoint. So Mark Robinson last fall made these comments that are so well known now about filth and the LGBTQ community. Those comments came out or were uh, unveiled the weekend we did uh, almost an 18 minute profile in him for Front Porch Politics and people went nuts. How could you put this guy on TV? And my whole point is like, this guy could be governor in 2024. You could hate him or disagree with him, but we need to know who he is and what makes him tick. So I am a big believer in trying to find out what makes people tick. Whether mm-hmm. we agree with them or disagree with them, if they're going to be in power positions, that's why. Mm-hmm. I joke with my wife that I don't know if I have opinions on anything anymore because I've spent so much of my life not having one. <laughs> right. So I'm almost lost in that regard. Uh-huh. Like, so that makes it easy. I find it easy to not, take a stance on something. Yeah. It sounds weird, I know, but... It doesn't really. I mean, I can somewhat relate to it. You want to be able to talk to everyone. You want to get to know who they are and see if there's anything relative to your issues. Well, not to blow smoke up both of y'all here, but you guys, you guys do an amazing job with that too. Um, I'm sure you have your own stances or whatever, but you guys do such an amazing job of understanding and wanting to know both sides or three sides or four sides. Yeah. Um, you know, the problem is just we can't talk to anybody anymore. I mean, that's yeah. what you're doing here. That's that's really what I'm trying to do right. on all my different shows and platforms is just getting people to talk again. Because I find when you get face-to-face with somebody and you have a conversation, even if you vehemently disagree emotionally, you can walk out of the room and say, you know what, I disagree with you. And that's okay, but at least I know where you're coming from. And have respect for that. And at the end of the day, there's a vote, and someone wins and someone loses, and you go on to the next issue. We've lost that. Right. I'm not so sure that's the, as much the politicians' fault, though, again. Now, they may have led to it as much as the voters and the people. Yeah. Yeah. So you have three programs, <laughs> and <laughs> you're calling people at night, calling people in the morning, on Twitter. You are on all social media platforms. How do you manage that with your home life? Uh, again, call my wife. <laughs> your kids uh, are pretty young, right? Yeah, my... Uh, my son is 12, my daughter's 10. Um, it's a challenge. Uh, but, but again, just like I schedule time each day, I don't mean to say I schedule my children, uh, <laughs> but I make sure to put aside for them. Um, I rarely miss, my daughter's in competitive cheer, which is as equally time consuming as it is financially consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's you know really talented and it takes up a lot of time, but I rarely, rarely miss a competition. Um, and I fought, in fact, I go to practices a lot. I'll do work at the practices. Sometimes my daughter or my son plays basketball, you know, I make sure to take him to movies or Tar Heel games. Cause he's a big Tar Heel fan. Um, you just got to work at it like anything in life, you know, I mean, marriages are not all easy for anyone. It takes work, right? Um, fatherhood is not easy. It just takes work. And so, um, some days I'm better at it than others and I'm exhausted every day, but I go to bed feeling very satisfied that I've done my best and uh, hope I'll do better the next day. I was at an event recently where someone said they thought they knew me and I, I couldn't figure out where we knew each other, but they had seen me on your TV show, Capital Tonight. How often when you go out to the community, do folks stop you in the grocery store or wherever and say, I know you. You know what's interesting is it's way more since the pandemic started. And I think it's because everyone stayed home and watched. Yeah. Um, It happens at least a few times a week. Does it really? What's really weird is we're on statewide. So like we went up to the Woolly Worm Festival one year, you know, up in Banner Elk. And someone's like, Tim Boyum. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's like so out of place, you know. Most of the time I find it's people just staring at you very strangely because they know you from somewhere, but they're not sure. Uh Uh-huh. Um, that's really bizarre. The most bizarre part of all of this though, is the pandemic. When I go to the grocery store, I have a mask on and, uh, people still, I guess it's the glasses or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Or the bow tie. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I've been much better. I used to be very uncomfortable about it 
because I don't think it's a big deal what I do. I, I mean, I, it's very important what I do, but I don't get a kick out of being recognized like some people do. It's just not important to me. So my wife has taught me actually to be better about being more gracious to people that do stop because they are excited or just think mm -hmm. it's neat. And so I now try to, to make a, a bigger deal out of it. Or not a bigger deal, but you know, stop and chat, gotcha. take a picture. I just, I don't think I'm that exciting, so. <laughs> but, but, but when I look back at your career, I mean, we know you as the statewide political reporter hosting the three shows, but you've also interviewed presidents. You, you interviewed President Donald Trump, interviewed uh, President Barack Obama. It's mind-blowing. And if you'd have told that kid in high school that started doing high school journalism that I'd do those things, I would have laughed at you. Uh, but I take it with great responsibility, too. I actually give a lot of credit to my high school journalism teacher because yeah. she made it fun and made me want to do it. Um, yeah. I, but you know what? Back to this front porch politics stuff, I get as much of a kick out of going to the mountains and talking to a guy, a former pro wrestler and a councilman out there who disagree on a Confederate statue. Yeah. That, to me, is as fascinating as interviewing a president of the United States. Yeah. And it's more real in some ways. Yeah, I bet. Is there one story that you go back to or you think of like, this was the story for me, for my career? I don't, I don't think so. I think it's been a, a long accumulation. It's like a snowball. It starts out as a snowflake and then rolls down the hill, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think when we started out as a 24-hour news channel, no one thought we'd last more than a year. Is that right? Yeah. And it wasn't because of us. It was just the industry and they were unusual. And so I've always felt like we're an underdog all the time. So I've never, everything about me and my career has been this slow buildup. Um, and I do feel like it's built to, the, you know, we've built an infrastructure here in North Carolina. But um, I always go back because I get this question a lot, like, who's your favorite interview? Um, and I have, it's like children. I can't pick one. But the biggest thrills are the presidential candidates in the president of the United States because so I mean who gets to talk to a sitting president of the United States I mean it really is just almost dumb to be able to say that out loud yeah. um, but I also know what it took to get that interview which was days and weeks of begging and pleading and uh, sales I, a lot of my job is sales I'm mm -hmm. trying to sell people uh, to come on my programs or interview and that day alone interviewing President Trump was a nine-hour day for four minutes of television it was a couple COVID tests. It was standing in a closet for four hours with no internet service backstage, you know, mm -hmm. waiting for him to arrive. It was not knowing whether the interview was actually going to happen until he literally walked 10 feet in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Those, that's what I remember the most, oddly <laughs> enough. You interviewed him in 2016 as well, right? Yeah. I interviewed him in Wilmington in 2016 as a candidate. Um, that was the very first time I ever interviewed him. And then I interviewed him as president in 2020 in um, uh, Fletcher, which is outside Asheville. So a lot of opinions about President Trump. Mm -hmm. But I remember, I think we were talking once, you said that, you know, he was very warm in pre-interview. Right? Gracious. Fit, right. You, you said it. I mean, we all have, whether you like him or you don't like him, and it, that seems to be uh, the case. <laughs> um, people have opinions. <laughs> people have opinions about the former president. But I remember you telling me that, that it was pleasant to sit and talk to him prior to the camera rolling. Yeah, I have, I have no problem telling these stories because I, they're not good or bad about anybody, and I think sure. it's really interesting. So you sit backstage while there's 10,000 people out in the other room, and you wait, and then they summon you in. And they rush into this room. And so we, I remember we were in this hallway. I think it was at uh, 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 UNC Wilmington in the gym there. And so we were backstage. And they ushered us into a room. And his daughter was there, too, actually, at the time. And it, we went and they said, you know, here's Donald Trump, Tim Boyum. And we shook hands. And uh, he said, you know, oh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's, it's great to talk with you. And I was, I was almost taken aback, right? And so I interviewed him. And it was in the time we were debating voter ID. And I mean, I, I pitched it up to him to go off because, you know, you see Donald Trump say these things on the stage. And I said, you know, do you think North Carolina's election will be rigged without voter ID? And he gave a, an answer that any other politician would have given. So I asked him it again, essentially. And he answered it normal. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Five minutes later, he goes out on stage and says something about Hillary Clinton that went national that or international that night. It, it, he clearly is so brilliant about yeah you know, saving things for the stage and not some schmo Tim from North Carolina. <laughs> but it is really interesting. He was almost, he almost came across as like 
shy yeah. um, in that one-on-one situation. I've heard that from other people too. Um, you know, it, it, it really, I always tell this story too about Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. I was blessed to interview them both numerous times in the 08 primary here in North Carolina, which was really, I think was a turning point. It was the point. primary, yeah. 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 And it was the turning point of the modern North Carolina being what we are today. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, everyone has these opinions about Barack Obama being this warm speaker and just, you know, guy you want to go have a beer with. And he was all business. He came in on his Blackberry, mm-hmm. said, you guys ready? Came down and sat down. We did our interview. He got up and left. Hillary Clinton came in, you know, and she has this reputation of, I don't know what the word cold or, you know, but not engaging, can't get across the camera. She sat down and was asking our photographers about their families. And, you know, I, I, I always tell people, like, you just never know who these people. That's one awesome thing about meeting so many famous people is I think they're just normal people who get put in extraordinary positions. Yeah. And some of them are different from a camera and some of them aren't. Some can portray themselves better than others. Um, Because I always wonder, like, can I do that? And I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Not president. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, all right, you just opened this up. I mean, is getting into politics, do you see that ever in your future? I can definitively say that I will never get into politics as long as I'm married to my current wife. (laughs) (laughs) She has told me that she will divorce me if I ever get into politics. Um, Back to the point where I don't know if I have an opinion anymore, I think that actually would prevent me from running for office. I think I'm engaging enough of an individual. I care enough about the issues, but that side of me definitely could. Um, but I liked, I, I think I've, if I ever got out of this business and I got into politics, I don't think it would be ever running for office. I don't know if I could ever press the red or green button on anything because really all I see is gray now that I've been working in this for 20 years. I don't really see the yes or no. It's a great way to put it too, right? Yeah. And then, you know, if you have something in your life that's really influenced you that is different than the party that you belong to. You know, you're supposed to vote the way of the party anyways. I don't know if I could do that just to go along, get along. I guess this is more of an out-of-the-box question. What's an issue at the General Assembly that you have been intrigued by this year? Oh, my goodness. Uh, we actually just did a segment on this. I'm really in, This isn't, I think, the most important thing, but I'm intrigued by this whole sports betting debate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was here. I was on the floor of the state senate when the lottery was passed, by I used to call it uh, Bev Perdue's moment, her kickoff for her gubernatorial campaign when she cast that tie-breaking vote as lieutenant governor. <laughs> um, and so I covered that, and I remember that fight over the lottery and the moral debate, the you know Paul Stam and the Family Policy Council, and how difficult that was. In fact, I've talked to Mike Easley, who was governor at the time, a lot about this even off camera, about that just the challenge of getting that and then people move here and they don't even think twice that it's here they have no idea how hard it was and so now you come up to modern day and this online sports betting and i think it's gonna pass this year in some form or fashion and so i'm mesmerized by how that debate has evolved again it's not you know one of the major issues i just i think it's so fascinating and there's so many layers we got the indian casino part of it mm-hmm. you know with cherokee and now Catawba, i guess too um, so I think that's an under the radar kind of really interesting. I love sports too, but as a sports fan, do you do FanDuel or any of those? I don't. I am. Uh, I cannot complain to my family about how much they spend of our money and then go out and gamble it away. <laughs> 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 I'm the guy that goes to Vegas with 200 bucks of cash, and when I if it's gone, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Do you do fantasy football? I do do fantasy okay. football. We're in, my whole family, wife, son, and even my daughter uh, has gotten into it, so we love it. it yeah. It uh, it ruins a lot of Sundays. Yeah. Brian has a trophy upstairs. I was really. Last, I was last place. Oh, <laughs> is it like in the, sh- is the shape of a toilet? It or? is a toilet in the toilet uh, <laughs> that you can see. So speaking of ruining a lot of Sundays, you can't get on Twitter without seeing you lamenting yet another Sunday as a Minnesota Vikings fan. Who are you pulling for in the Super Bowl? <sighs> Is it just one of those things where you're just completely neutral? I would like to see better ads again. I feel okay. like it's been years since we've had good ads. Um, maybe Cincinnati. I'm pretty intrigued by Joe Burrow. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty intrigued by that, but my wife's a Steelers fan, so it's the same division. Right. 
I think at the end of the day, I'm just hoping for a close game, yeah. an entertaining one. I don't want like a 7-3. I want it to be like 28-24, and in the fourth quarter, it's tied. He just wants both teams to have fun. Yeah, yeah. 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 Both sides of them, right? <laughs> so with your wife, though, I, I'm, going, I'm going way back in the vault here. We're talking Fran Tarkenton versus wow. Terry Bradshaw, Minnesota Vikings, yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers. How does that play? Or, or are those wounds already healed? Yeah, she doesn't care because they've won, what, six Super Bowls? She yeah. give a rip about that. <laughs> I think she feels bad for me for how you know the Vikings don't just lose. They're a little bit like NC State. They don't just lose. They lose in ways that just drive you into the ground <laughs> right. and then rub you into the dirt. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's painful. It is. And you've had such good players, too. Wasted. I mean, wasted, yeah. Right now, too, I I mean, there's a coaching search going on right now. It's a, there's a lot going on. We got, I don't know, Kirk Cousins. It's, uh, God. I, I, I do have opinions about sports. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you know, by your reporting, our political sides are incredibly polarized. If you had a magic wand and you could fix something in our politics today, what would it be? What if I said do politics better? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a really yeah. good way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> Brian would add that to your shrine upstairs. <laughs> uh, honestly, that would be part of it. Um, I don't know if it has as much to do with the politicians as it has to do with the uh the people. And so if we could find ways to engage young people in a better way, I think it would set us up for generations down the road because I think some of the older generations are now soured and I don't think we have enough time. Um, if we can teach people a digital literacy on social media and how to communicate and then, you know, people aren't taught. I watched my kids even and I mean, I, we went to the basketball game, the UNC-NC State game, and my buddy, or my son and his buddy were in the back seat. And 80% of the drive, they were looking at their own phones right. on the way over. And I finally stopped him. I said, oh, my gosh. But that's the generation that's growing up. Mm -hmm. So how are these kids going to learn to talk to each other, particularly when they disagree about something? They're just going to shut each other out. So I guess learning to talk to each other, and how do we put that into education because I, you know, I, I don't. I think we're in for at least another decade of the mess that we're in with the adults. Yeah, I, I don't know how to fix it. Do you? I don't. I, I mean, I have some ideas, but I don't. You're know the interviewee here. By the way. <laughs> Sorry. This is our show, Tim. <laughs> I'm like Billy Warden. <laughs> Billy came. Billy and Brian were on my podcast, and Billy tried to take over the show. And yeah. Now I'm doing it to Brian. <laughs> You can get me next time on no, mine. I, I appreciate it. No, that's good. That's good. Well, Tim Boyum, we appreciate everything you do in North Carolina politics. We appreciate everything you do in journalism. We're not going to say you knew how to do politics better because you don't do politics, but you certainly do journalism better. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's an honor. Thank you. I appreciate it. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. If it's not obvious, I am a big fan of Tim Boyum. Oh, it's not obvious at all. Mm -mm. <laughs> now, listen, so I think, for one, I was genuine in what I said in the conversation. I don't know where his politics are. And I've spent a lot of time with him on camera, off camera, podcast, just talking to him about what's going on at the General Assembly. And he's always just a straight shooter. He is a straight shooter with me, with you, with legislators. If we were to go into Speaker Tim Moore's office right now, chances are Spectrum News would be on his TV. I would say the same for many Democrats. He is trusted. And he, like he said, he goes to everyone to make sure that everyone's perspective is covered. And I think having him on the podcast, while he is not a legislator, obviously, and has no interest in being a legislator, 
understanding how he does his work, because the media is so important to North Carolina politics, and it's very important to us as lobbyists. We don't really talk about that a lot, but lobbyists do spend a lot of time talking to reporters. And I think it gives us an insight into how uh, politics works in North Carolina. And, and I really do appreciate him coming on to this podcast. You know, he's he's got this, uh, the three shows he does over at Spectrum News, he's very busy. But for him to carve out some time, come over to the office and talk to us, I thought was just really classy of him. Tweet of the week. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Senator Joyce Kravick, who is a Republican senator in the General Assembly. And this week, she put out an NCGA Twitter bingo card. And it's a great week to put out a bingo card because there was a lot of action going on. And in this bingo card... And we should note that there is generally a bingo card that goes out on budget nights. Yes. For things that you just hear every single time there is a budget. But this is the first generalized NCGA bingo card I've seen. If you hear this on Twitter or you see this on Twitter, anything from Wiley Nickel mentioning that he's a former Obama staffer. Yeah, I saw that yesterday. (laughs) Also a state representative or senator receiving an award. I love this one, by the way. (laughs) Senator Jim Perry, who's been on the podcast, uh, adding his logo onto any (laughs) random picture, which he does... A lot. A lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. His logo, if if you have a photo out there, he's going to put his logo on it and retweet it. In fact, Senator Perry, great sense of humor, as we all know, he took this bingo card and he put his logo on it and <laughs> retweeted it and made it as the middle square. Also, you know, shameless plug here, but the Do Politics Better podcast is also a bingo square. This was a funny and well-needed post at a time when tension is very high at the General Assembly. And I love this for several reasons, poking fun at everyone. And uh, good job, Senator Kravitz. We need more bingo cards from your office. Thanks for posting You can make a Do Politics Better bingo if you'd like. We could. What, What would be on our bingo card? You saying the guest's name over and over again. Me saying interesting. That'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. You making fun of me could be on our bingo card. Yeah. In the works. Let's work on it. So you've been busy this week. You've had a case you've been working on. And for those of you who don't know, Sky, in addition to being a lobbyist here at New Frame and representing one of our clients is the Coalition Against Sexual Assault, but Sky is also an attorney for the Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Yeah, I take on cases throughout North Carolina, and most of them are college Title IX cases. I had a sexual assault case that I was litigating this week, and it was a two-day case. And the funny thing about doing college cases is that whoever is the judge or the hearing officer in these cases, there's almost always a very funny part where a kid who's 18 to 22 says something that, a, a word that the judge doesn't really understand. And there were a couple of those times this week, but the best one was there was a witness testifying. He's being asked some questions, and we're referring to some text messages. And it said, and you said, he's simping over her. What does the word simping mean? And the kid just laughs and said, I think Urban Dictionary would be a great resource for you. (laughs) (laughs) Said this to the judge. Oh, this is great. And then gave his, and if you don't know what simping means, it just means that, like, you really like someone, you would, like, do anything for them. Like, you know, being like a simpleton for them. Is that where the derivative is from simpleton? I don't know. I I had another case where someone said, yeah, and like I was sussed out by them. And they were like, the judge was like, you were what? She was like, it was just like (laughs) sus, you know? (laughs) It just means suspect. But kids use sus and they say like, oh, sus. That's so sus. And so in my studies, I too have to learn like what these words mean as I'm reading things. It's always just so entertaining. Sometimes I'm like, I'll just look it up myself. I can't ask the student like, I don't know what word you're using. I have to just Google things for myself. 
that was fun. it's one of those things that the cases are so heavy it's so it's it's nice to have funny moments in them mm-hmm. are you going to a super bowl party yeah actually got a message last night i sent a message to a group of friends in the neighborhood and i said is there a super bowl party in the neighborhood this year or or was i just dreaming that and i got a reply back which was what i was fishing for and folks said yeah everyone come on down to our house we'll watch the super bowls starting around five o'clock what about you you going to a super bowl party no i don't have friends like you do well won't you come to our super bowl party no thank you (laughs) (laughs) the thing the problem with the super bowl for me is that it starts really late it does yeah and i just can't commit to being up that late well, you should come to our Super Bowl party. You have come to some of our neighborhood gatherings, and it's kind of funny seeing this downtown Raleigh friend in you uh, hanging out with us in the suburbs. You want to talk about that? All anybody ever talks about is, <laughs> this is what I learned. <laughs> From In 2020, I kind of became part of Brian and Julie's bubble, and so I would go over there on like Saturdays and we would have dinner, maybe play a card game or Julie, Brian's wife and I would cross stitch, something like that. So sometimes they had these like outdoor dinner nights where everybody ate in their driveway. Very cool, you know, <laughs> probably the HOA president's idea. <laughs> which which I am the HOA president. <laughs> and so people would come into their driveway and start to hang out and... It was just like the only conversation that you have repeatedly over and over (laughs) and over again is about what TV shows you're watching. (laughs) It's like I realize that's only the only thing middle aged people talk about is what TV shows you're watching. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we talked a little bit about sports. I mean, you kind of got a kick out of the guy. Every outdoor dinner party we had, he showed up in some version of Clemson attire, right? I don't know that I did get a kick out of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your neighbors don't listen to this. They don't listen. Yeah. I mean, this guy wears a Clemson hat, a Clemson sweatshirt, Clemson socks. Every, he's got something. And you, you, we it's would too like, much, sir. It's, it's too much. It's way too dial much. Dial it back. Just dial it back a little bit. We did have conversations about when leaves were going to get picked up. That's also yeah. part of the conversation. Yeah, I'm sorry. I fell asleep during that part. <laughs> you know, this is what you have to look forward to. You are going to get into your 40s one day. And you're going to think, I need to move to the suburbs into a neighborhood where they tell me what color I can paint my house. And you're going to have conversations about this. I always talk about my first year of law school, our property professor, uh, he put up this HOA agreement up on the screen. And it had like all of the different things you had to do, you know, can't change your shutters, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, after this class, now you're probably thinking, who would ever sign this agreement? (laughs) And then he puts up a huge picture of himself. Yeah, you do. You do. Move to the suburbs. No, thank you. (laughs) ITV for life. (laughs) (laughs) As always, we are so grateful that you take the time to listen to our podcast. Please be sure to like, subscribe, listen on whatever platform that you do listen on. If you download the episodes, that really helps us know about our listeners and have a good weekend. We're supposed to have great weather this Mm -hmm. weekend. So get out, get some vitamin D, get a little walk in, whatever you're doing, please remember to do politics better. (laughs) 